Good morning. Name is Stevo, and I was just reminded just now as the kids were going going over there. Just first of all, I was melted by how cute they are, <laughs> and I couldn't help but just smile at them. And it's it's a good picture of how our God sees us and how He delights in us as His kids. And I want to pray now, if you want to join me, uh, to ask for faith. Uh, to know that very reality in our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, first of all, our kids who are learning about you. We pray that you would be with them as they learn about the face of Jesus, the hand of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus. We pray that would become a reality in, in their hearts, that you would grant them faith and understanding that they may know you even at this age. For us now here who uh, may know you, uh, who may feel distant, who uh, seem maybe confused, who are maybe going through struggling or feeling alone, for those of us who need to be seen and to, to feel the touch of God, we ask for your grace and compassion for us here today, uh, that we might know you, that we might see the face of Jesus that we might hear the voice of our Savior, and that you might uh, renew us with your ever reminder that only the Spirit of God can do that, Lord, you delight in us, your kids. We pray for Chris, that you be with him, that his words would reflect uh, how you feel about us, that he would shed light through your word, uh, just who we are in you, and that you would renew that for us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The reading from Scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 17. It is also found on page 957 in your Bibles. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Steve-O. Thanks for that good introduction. I, um, your check's in the mail, by the way. I don't, um, the worship leader who kind of kicks us off, kind of emcees the beginning of the service and the person who prays, I don't tell them what to say or what to pray or what scriptures to use as the call to worship. And it's amazing to me how often the things they pray and the, the scriptures that they read fit so perfectly with the day's theme. Just one of those little signs that we get uh, that God really is moving and working and he gives all of these little subtle nudges. I love it. We're really thinking in a lot of ways today about how does God see us 
and how God sees us as his children. And we're going to lean into the reality, as Kim read uh, from Peter, one of the letters to Peter, that we're born again, that we have a new birth. So if you're new or if you're visiting, we're so glad you're here. As Steve mentioned, my name is Chris. I serve as the pastor here. Happy New Year, by the way. I haven't, um, we haven't seen each other since 2023. So is it too late to say Happy New Year? Happy New Year. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the snow day last week. We did. I don't, um, I've heard from a few people here and if some of our neighbors and people around town, a lot of people had the sense that that was, like, that was just a good snow day, wasn't it? And there was something about there was something about it that seemed to me to exist outside of time. Like it didn't feel like a Sunday. It didn't feel like a Monday or a Tuesday. It, didn't, it, just, it just was off in its own, this little gracious extra day. Um, and so I hope you got in some measure uh, to receive God's grace during that. That said, I really also missed being together. And Saturday, last Saturday night, as we kind of made the call, okay, we, it looks like a lot of stuff. We got to call off church and um, I really wrestled with that because not so, I mean, I, I was ready to preach and we were ready to do the service. I just wanted to see everybody and uh, miss seeing you. So it's really good to see all of y'all again this morning. Can I get another y'all in there? Thank you. We're thinking it is, it is the new year. I mean, we're two weeks in. A lot of us have lost sight and forgotten about the new year. It is the new year. And so this morning, I want to think about uh, beginnings to think about what are the first things of our faith. It's important to put the first things first and to start at the beginning. And even in New Year's time, you know, we all make resolutions and maybe you've already broken and just your resolutions are just shot to pieces. Maybe they're still going okay. Uh, Maybe you're the type who doesn't really make New Year's resolutions, but don't like, I think most of us at this time of year still think about change in some way. And even if, uh, well, I'm not, the, I'm not going to make, for me, it's like I'm not going to make a resolution because I know I'm not going to keep it anyway. But I still think about what are ways that I want my life to be different? What are ways that I want to change? What are ways that I want to grow? Even if I'm not setting or committing to a specific resolution. I think, I think each of us really, we all long to grow. There, I don't, I I doubt, I don't know, don't raise your hand, but I doubt there's a single one of us in here who says, I am all set. I don't need to change or grow one bit. We all have areas in our lives where we want to grow, especially in our faith. And the good news of the Christian faith is that change is possible. In fact, that through Jesus Christ, the change that we long for is, in some ways, it can be inevitable. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, through the story, the account of Jesus being baptized. Now, this happens right on the heels. If you're reading through uh, the Gospels, Matthew and Luke tell us that Jesus was born. Mark doesn't even tell us about Jesus' birth. He just kind of skips right to Jesus' baptism. In Matthew and Luke, this is the first thing that happens after Jesus' birth. There's a little interlude in Luke. We'll get to that in a minute. In the Gospels of Mark and John, Jesus' baptism happens right there in chapter 1, which tells us that this is a fundamental, foundational place to begin. It's one of the most important events in Jesus' life. And it shows us, it shows us a lot of things, but this morning we're thinking about how it shows us 
that the change that we really long for is possible and it comes through understanding not what we do or not how we see things, but what God has done and how God sees us. Change, the transformation and the growth that we long for comes simply through receiving the love of God. And if that seems too good to be true, hang with me because I want to show you that reality. But that can be a challenging one for a lot of us because a lot of us really struggle to believe that God is at his core a God of love. A lot of us are afraid that God is an angry God or a distant God or a judgmental God. Do you believe that God's default posture towards you is love? Do you? What I want to show you is that actually twice in this text, we get profound pictures of God's love. One is pretty obvious and one is pretty subtle, and yet they're both there. And we see not just God's love, we see God the Father's love, and we see God's love expressed through Jesus, his Son, who is God. So let's start by looking at the love of God the Father, which is actually the end of the passage. It's the last couple of verses. It teaches us this, that Jesus gets baptized and then a voice from heaven speaks and says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now hold that in your hand. I'm gonna gonna press pause. We're going to address one fundamental truth of the Christian faith that sounds unrelated, but I'm going to show you how it's related. But hold God's statement about Jesus in your hands while we remember that one of the central truths of the Christian faith, in fact, if you don't have this, it's not Christianity, it's something else, is that Jesus is somehow fully human and fully God. And how that works, I have no idea. But it just, we know from scripture that Jesus is completely human and he's completely God. And most of us don't actually think that. We, we can't, some, to some extent, it's just beyond what we can understand. And I think the way most of us, if you're anything like me, the way we make sense of that is we think that Jesus is just some sort of God hologram, right? He, he looks human, he speaks, it sounds human, it, it, he walks in a human way, but basically he's just God in a human disguise. He put on one of those masks, those latex masks that you see during Halloween, right? Like the Ronald Reagan mask, or the, but it's, it's Jesus. And so that's God pretending to be human. And if that's how you think of Jesus, you're going to miss everything that's going on in this passage. You'll think that, okay, Jesus gets baptized. It's the God hologram. It's God with a human mask on. So he gets baptized, and then a voice, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well, and Jesus goes like, thanks, Dad, and then he just goes on his way. But remember, Jesus is not just God in human disguise. He is fully human. If he's fully human, it means he feels the full range of human emotion. So let's tap into that emotion for a moment. Imagine 
you, yourself now, imagine your father saying to you publicly in front of a group of people because there's a crowd there saying to you, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. I delight in you. How do you feel? I know that this can be a challenging image because some of us have or had fathers who didn't express that. And I don't, I'm not a counselor and and let me just say though that if that's the reason behind this being a challenging passage, even, even that longing and even maybe the hurt there demonstrates that this is what we long for, that this is, this is, and this is how God is. We long for the richness and the fullness of hearing our Father say, I love you, I delight in you. You can go an awful long time on those two sentences, couldn't you? Remember, Jesus is fully human. How do you think he's feeling when he hears this? Now let's make it better. Think with me about the context. What has Jesus done so far in this moment? Answer? Nothing. Do you know that? What has Jesus done so far in order to get God to say this? Exactly nothing. Here's what the Bible says that he's done before he gets baptized. He got born. He got dedicated at the temple when he was eight days old. Luke tells us when he was 12, he got lost and separated from his parents for three days. And that's it. He hasn't done any, he hasn't done any ministry He hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't done any teaching. He hasn't amassed his crowd of disciples to follow him and hang on every word he says. He hasn't healed the sick. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't done a single thing. And having done nothing for God, as it were, what does God say to him? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He hasn't done anything to earn that affirmation from God. There's a human bent, probably in every one of us, if we're being honest, that we have to do something in order for God to affirm us. I need to serve God in some way. Maybe that's through my actions or my behaviors. I just need to behave and be moral. Maybe it means I need to go to church. Maybe it means I need to like do extra stuff for the church. Maybe I feel like I need to give money to the church or help the poor or speak in a certain way or whatever. I have to be a good person. And then God will approve of me and say, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter. I'm well pleased, well done. But notice God doesn't start by saying well done because Jesus hasn't done anything. 
And even if you're a Christian and you've got good theology and you believe in grace, I was saved by grace, somehow some part of you might think, okay, but okay, I was saved by Jesus' grace, but now I need to work really hard to stay on the straight and narrow so I don't fall off the path and lose God's approval. And God's words to Jesus here teach us that God's first and forever posture towards us is only, only love. God loves and is pleased with Jesus before Jesus has done a single thing for God. God loves, hear me now, God loves and is pleased with you before, before you have done a single thing for God. Do you believe that? If you think that you will only receive God's love or his affirmation or his approval after you've done the right thing, whatever that right thing is in your mind, you will kill yourself trying to do the right thing and hoping that the thing you're doing is actually the right thing and hoping that you've done enough of that right thing and then trying to do a little bit more just in case because it never hurts to have a little bit of insurance and then getting impossibly discouraged every time you fall short and every time you're not at your best because let's face it, you weren't at your best in that meeting last week or you weren't at your best when you got home after a long day the other day and now you're afraid God is gonna make you pay and so now you have to do more just to make up for it and you will kill yourself trying to do it. If you think that God only approves of you after you have done, fill in the blank, however you fill in that blank, it will kill you. But even in those moments, those moments where you came up short, what does God say? You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I delight in you, he says. And you think, maybe you say to God, but God, I don't deserve that. And God says, now you're starting to get it. Now God's grace can begin to transform you. You see? God's posture towards us is first and forever love. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's only after hearing those words that Jesus begins his ministry. The order, like where this occurs in scripture matters. Jesus hears God's affirmation. He hears God's love. Now he can go off and do the things. Actually, he's going to go, now he can go off and be tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. And you might be thinking, part of you is like, yeah, okay, fine. But that's Jesus, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. If Jesus 
heard God's affirmation, if it took hearing God's affirmation for Jesus to begin his ministry, then what makes you think you can follow God without hearing his affirmation and knowing it? The Christian life necessarily begins with receiving God's love. It's completely unmerited, but that's what love is. That's what love is. And the love of the Father propels us into the Christian life. Now here's the beauty, is we don't just see the love of God the Father, but we see the love of Jesus, who is God the Son, in this as well, and we see it through his baptism. So let me show you this. Now it can be, Jesus' baptism, to me, it's just a little bit weird. Like, why did Jesus have to be baptized? And we're going to address that. And I find it helpful to understand, like, why did Jesus get baptized? What was going on there when we start thinking about our baptism? So let's start by, by thinking about our baptism. And I realized this week, I had this funny little realization. Um, I've been here a little over nine years. I've never preached a sermon. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon about baptism, which is a weird thing for a Baptist pastor in a Baptist church to say. I've never, so here you go. You're welcome. Um, the Bible teaches, so when we decide, when we, when we say, okay, I'm going to commit to following Jesus with my life, when we decide to follow Jesus, the Bible describes that decision and that action as both a death and a life. And the way some of the biblical authors put it is like this. They say it's, it's as if we have died to ourselves and then we have been raised to new life in Christ, in God. There's, there's a part of, of us, I'm about to run out of battery, aren't I? Um, there's a part of us that insists on being our own God. I'm the king of my life, I'm the boss, whatever word you want to put into it. That's the old self, so to speak. And when we choose to follow God, it's as though that self, the old self, dies. It's no longer the reality that I am my own boss. And we're raised to a new life where we say, God is my king now. Yahweh is, when we say Lord, we don't use the word Lord in modern English, but there's a death and a life going on. Baptism is a stark visual expression of both that death and life. This is why it's our tradition to baptize people by immersing them fully underwater. This is what part of, basically what's behind, uh, we call it baptism by immersion. It just means dunking you all the way down and lifting you out of the water again. Because when we immerse somebody under the water, it's like we are burying them. It's a picture of burial. I've died to my old self, that person is saying. And then when we raise the person again out of the water, it's a picture of new life. They're raised from the dead, up from the grave. It is a theatrical, in the best sense of that word, it's a theatrical death and resurrection. And we say that baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. So the picture of death and resurrection that we see when somebody is baptized bears witness to an even deeper death and resurrection that has happened in somebody's heart. They're saying, I've died to myself. 
I've been raised to new life in Christ. Now by this point, I hope you're asking yourself, so Chris, why was Jesus baptized? Because Jesus, if he is fully God, never sinned, which means he didn't have an old self that needed to die. He didn't have sin that he needed to repent of. So why was Jesus baptized? Jesus actually gives us two reasons in this text. First, verse 15, this is the lowest hanging fruit. He tells John the Baptist, it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I don't know what exactly that all righteousness is. There are some hints throughout Scripture and in the Old Testament. I'll be honest, I don't understand them all. But I do know this, that there is something in baptism Jesus is teaching us that is an act of righteousness, which is to say God calls his followers to it, that when we choose to follow God, this is the next step. In other words, baptism in part is an act of joyful obedience even if we don't understand fully. And isn't there something beautiful about obedience, joyful obedience, even when we don't understand fully? One might say that that's a, that is more an act of trust than it is to only do something when we understand it completely. So Jesus says, first, I'm baptized, and baptism is to fulfill all righteousness. It's, it's an act of, Paul calls it in um, Romans 1 and in Romans 16, the obedience of trust. But still, that doesn't help us understand the whole Jesus is God, nature, and sin thing. What's going on with that? Because baptism is dying to the old self, but Jesus didn't have to die to his old self. That brings us to the second reason that Jesus was baptized, which is this, that Jesus' baptism is not just an event in and of itself, but it points us towards what is to come. Namely, Jesus' baptism, his theatrical, under-the-water death and resurrection points to, in three years, his actual death and resurrection. Of course, Jesus didn't have an old self that needed to die. And in that sense, he didn't, I think I can say this, he didn't need to be baptized. And in three years, Jesus also didn't need to die on the cross. But he did. Why? Love. It's the only possible explanation. It's the only possible explanation. Just because he loves you and he loves me and he knows that there is no other way to restore our relationship with him and so he gives all of himself. In a sense, it's as if Jesus' baptism points to his future death and resurrection so that your baptism and my baptism points to our past death and resurrection. You see, Jesus' baptism is looking ahead to the moment that he would be buried so that for us, our baptism, even if it occurs right after we have become Christians, we've decided to follow Jesus, so that for us, it's looking back already on, on when we were raised from the grave. 
which is pretty profound if you think about it. If you are in Christ, you have already been raised from the dead. Which is exactly why Kim chose, through the Holy Spirit, to remind us through, was it First Peter, Second Peter, that we're born again. Like a baby, when it is born, is not pre-alive. It's alive. It actually is alive. It's a new life. When we are born again, you are, you are, resurrection for the Christian is not just something that happens in the future. It's something that is here and now. It is reality. You are a new person. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is present tense, a new creation. You are new. The old has gone, past tense. The new has come, present tense. It has arrived. It is right here, right now. You are a new person. For no other reason than that God loves you. In a real sense, in a very real sense, Jesus says to you and to me this morning and every moment of every day the exact same thing that his father said to him at his baptism. You are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I delight in you. I am well pleased with you. And he doesn't just say it once. He is always saying it over and over and over. And the more you listen for that and receive that and internalize that, the more it inevitably will transform you. Just that simple realization that I am a new creation. I'm alive. I have been raised from the dead in the waters of baptism will transform you. This is what Paul writes about in Romans 6. Here's how Paul puts it. He says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. We have been united with him through baptism in his death, and we will certainly be, re- be united with him in his resurrection. Our old self was, past tense, crucified with him. We are no longer slaves to sin. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. If you are in Christ, through his baptism, through his baptism and therefore through ours, you have died to sin and sin no longer controls you. It is an incredibly life-changing realization just to realize that's not me anymore. I'm a new person. It's just the reality. And that reality is rooted where? In God's love for you. It's rooted in the reality that God loves you more deeply than you dare hope. Right? There are parts when, when, when we start to receive, whether it's God's love or the love of a person, like there are parts of us that want to stiff arm them. I don't want you getting too close because I don't want you seeing that, that little corner of my heart that, that I feel like is kind of ugly and because I'm afraid that if you see that corner, you might change your mind. 
I don't want you to see that corner of my heart, God. Because I'm afraid if you see that corner of my heart, you'll change your mind. And God says, no, I won't. I gave my life for you. Do you realize that Jesus' love for you never ends and he loves you even, even in your brokenness and even in, that Jesus, Jesus loves the parts of you that even you don't love? Do you realize that? That your brokenness and your sin and your darkness and your falling short, like whatever you want to call it, it doesn't push God further away. It draws God in even closer Again, Romans 5, we read this, or I said it at the beginning of the service. God demonstrates his love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. He didn't say, clean up your act, and then we can talk. Our sin is real. Our brokenness is real. The ways we fall short are real. In fact, the more we think about them, the more real they become, and we start realizing that our sin is actually deeper than we, than we even want to think about. And to quote the late Pastor Tim Keller, you are also more deeply loved than you dare hope. And as you come to understand that God's love for you is magnified in your brokenness, that your failures don't push God away, but they but he wants to come even closer in those moments. How, how can you not be changed? How can you not be transformed by that? God is love. And the more we understand his love, the more we receive it, the more he will change us. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. I delight in you. Let me close simply by reading the Apostle John's words in 1 John chapter 4. He says, this is love. This is love. He's going to define it for us. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and gave himself for us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Amen.